The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them, led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. So we have the opportunity here for the second Sunday of Lent to meditate on and reflect on the transfiguration of Jesus, which we have given to us in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that alone it gives us some sense that this is a very significant scene in the life of Jesus and for the disciples who were following him. And this isn't the only time in the year that we get the opportunity to reflect on this passage. Uh, but my experience in reflecting on it is something like that of St. Peter's, where I feel rather bewildered every time I'm confronted with the passage. It's, it seems like it, there's something in it that's incredibly mysterious that it, it, I, I'm not able to work out quite right. And I think part of it is we come to the passage, and especially the way we read through the gospel passages week after week, we read them as these, um, as these disparate little um, scenes that are just that they may not necessarily have anything to do with each other. And so we're tempted to come to them and think, well, okay, um, the point of this gospel passage is this, the lesson of this gospel passage is this, and this is what we're supposed to take from this gospel passage. But of course, that starts to flatten out what scripture is supposed to be in the first place. Every time we come to the scriptures, whether we're reading or praying over them or, uh, or simply spending a time with, with a single verse, the whole point is that this is the living word of God that it's supposed to be working on our hearts, working a transformation in the very depths of our hearts, and that there's something in it that's there to uh, bring benefit to us that we're supposed to hear, that we're supposed to see something of God revealing himself to us. And so that's part of my encouragement, because if we come to it and look, look at it, well, what, what's the moral of the story? What's the moral of the transfiguration? We can come out with something like this. Okay, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, and Jesus is proving that he's God here, and he wants to strengthen the disciples before the crucifixion. Okay, if that's what you take from it, that's something. 
that's something. But it's, if, we, if that's all we take from it, then we walk away, first of all, thinking that we've exhausted everything in the scripture. And that's usually a, not necessarily, usually not necessarily, it is not the best approach to allowing scripture to work into the depths of our hearts. Instead, it's something more, uh, and it also flattens out who Jesus is. We, we start to turn him into just a great teacher like Socrates or Aristotle or any number of the other philosophers. And Jesus is so much more than that. In and through his life, throughout the Gospel of Matthew up to this point, this is the 17th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, up to this point, throughout the Gospel, Jesus has not only been giving teaching, but he's been living a life that pioneers what the life of renewed humanity is supposed to be. And of course, you've, you've heard the phrase, renewed humanity, before. You've, you've heard it before. Father Daniel and I have talked about it. But what does it mean? What does it mean to have humanity renewed, restored? Well, it looks back to the garden. It looks back to the vocation that God gives man and woman, created in his image and likeness, at the very beginning. Because in the garden, through human rebellion, we had distorted the call that God had made on his image-bearing creatures. But we didn't lose the image of God. But what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? It means nothing other than each and every one of us, created by God, are called to live at the intersection, at the meeting place of heaven and earth. When each and every one of, in each and every one of us, as God's creatures, as his image-bearing creatures, people should be able to look on us and see, that's what the life of heaven is like. That's what the one God living in truth, that's the sort of God that he is. This is our call. But of course, through human rebellion, we got it wrong. We lost it. And so we have the gospel passage today. Jesus, through his life and ministry, is the truly human being. He is the one who lives up to the vocation that God had always intended for man from the beginning. He is the truly human being that lives a life of self, generous self-gift, of concern for the other. And it's through that that the glory of God is able to shine forth in him. So what does that mean about the transfiguration? Well, if we come to this seeing, well, okay, only God could do something like this, then we're missing something of the point. Because... The point is that the light that's shining forth from Jesus, such that his face looks like the sun. I don't know if anybody's looked at the sun, but it's kind of hard to do. The light is, is so intense coming from every bit of his body. This is the glory of God shining forth through him. But this is what was always intended for each and every one of us, that the glory of God should shine forth through each and every one of us. And the good news is, we living after Easter, we living in Christ Jesus, are able to live into the restored humanity that Jesus is bringing to bear through his life because we have been baptized into Christ Jesus. 
we have received baptism, and so, like Christ Jesus, we hear the line repeated in this gospel today, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Because of our baptism, each and every one of us are the dear, dear children of God in whom he takes great delight. And because of that, because of God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, we have the power well, St. John says to become the children of God, but we also have the power to finally accurately reflect God into the world. And we have the power through Christ Jesus to shine his light into the world. That's our motto, right? Lumen gentium, a light to the nations. The whole point is not simply a nice, neat slogan, but that something of the glory that we see in the transfiguration here today can break forth in our own lives that our own lives reflect something of the glory that's on display in the gospel passage today. That is part of our call. And we finally, through Christ Jesus, have the ability to live into that call, to live up to that call. We are able to be the temples of God's Holy Spirit. We are the place, by virtue of our baptism, where heaven and earth meet. We have the God of all the universe, the one whom even the highest heavens can't contain. He's dwelling within us. If, if we lose sight of that, if we've really lost sight of, if we've really lost sight of that, then we, we have no concept of the great adventure that it is to be a follower of Jesus. This is our vocation. There's, there's nothing more exciting than to realize that we are called to be temples of the living God, the place where heaven and earth meet. And so we, when we look at the transfiguration, we think of the glory of God, and I, that's, I think that's right, but also to realize that the glory of God is the pinnacle of his, crea of his creation. And what is the pinnacle of his creation? But human beings created in his image and likeness. But... St. Matthew, the way that he writes his gospel, wants us, as we see this scene, to also start to think of what has already been casting its shadow over the pages of the gospel of Matthew. He wants us to be thinking of the cross. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. He's already looking forward. He's looking toward where his mission is going to take him, to Jerusalem, where he knows that he's going to die. He knows that he's going to pour himself out in self-gift in order to bring restoration, in order to bring the new creation to bear. And this, part of, part of this is that St. Matthew is telling us, if you want to understand the transfiguration, if you want to understand the glory of God, then look there too. That, too, is the glory of God. Because there, in that, we can talk about... Um, there's a hymn, the Adoro Te Devote, which is a Eucharistic hymn, and it says something to the effect of, in the cross, the Godhead was hidden. And there's something true about that. There is something true about that, because this is not what we expect God to look like. But this is precisely where God is revealed, because this tells us something about the very depths of God's heart that he will pour himself out, abase himself, in order to save 
his creatures that bear his image. This is the love, this is the absurd lengths of love that our God will go to in order to bring restoration to creation. This is the life that Jesus lived, and this is what we as followers of Christ Jesus are called to live after him. So that many of us, um, especially if we have devotional books books or um, any other types of pious literature, will hear phrases such as, the royal road of the cross. That's right. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean that the, the royal road of the cross? It's not the royal detour of the cross, but it's not because we're, we're totally, that we're set on suffering for its own sake, but it's through the royal road of the cross. The cross itself is the way that we are able to follow Jesus who made his way through death itself. He made a pathway through death itself and came out the other side with life in abundance. And there's something about the self-denial of the cross, dying to ourselves, giving up our own will, that teaches us what it means to love, what it means to be people of generosity, to be people of self-gift, to be people who will pour ourselves out for the other. Because this is the call that we have received in Christ Jesus. To show forth the glory of God, we need to be people of love. That's the name of the game. That is the, that's, what the, that's what Christianity has always been about, and that's what Lent is about. It's not about proving to myself how good I am because I can take on all these difficult practices. Incidentally, if any of you are having trouble and failing with your Lenten practices, again, I'm going to repeat Father Daniel's advice from last week. Get up, move on. That's right. Yeah, we are weak. We do fail. God knows that. In fact, one of, the, one of the neat things about being Christian, about following Jesus, is that we actually have a God that is kind of okay with dealing with the fact that we mess up, and quite frequently. But it's through that that we realize our own weakness and that we cannot do that on our, on our own. We can speak in pious terms about dying to self, but when I look at the cross and I see Jesus hanging there, making excuses for those who killed him, I can't do that. I don't want to do it because that's too hard. But Jesus gives me the strength to do that. Jesus is the one that's going to be able to help me to shine his glory into creation. He's the one that if I follow after him, if I love and trust and obey him and learn to die to myself through Lenten penances, through Lenten discipline, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, growing in love of God and love of neighbor, this is the law and the prophets. Jesus himself says that. If we're growing, if we're allowing our Lenten penances to form us, to, to realize that we need the strength and the help of God in order to love our, our neighbor as ourselves and to love God above all things, not in that order, love God above all things, but and love our neighbor as ourselves. Then, then we start to shine the glory of God into every corner of creation. But it's not without the suffering because we are inclined to be selfish. But it's coming to grips 
coming face to face with the love that we've received in Christ Jesus, that we are the dear, dear children of God, that even, even though we're called to love, it's not simply the idea of forgetting about myself. No, it's because I know who I am in God, that that love, being his dear child, is going to sustain me even, in the, even when life around me seems to be dark, even when everything else seems to be taken away from me, I can trust that God's love is going to sustain me. So that even as we try and follow after Jesus faithfully, we may not necessarily see every step, but we can at least trust that if his love is sustaining us, then we are going to be able to follow him step by step, bit by bit. And so this is, this is our call, and this is, this is what's reaffirmed at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's it, my friends. The sum total of the Christian life, you know, if we're going to sum it in a word, it's charity, but in other words, it's listening to Jesus. Listening to him, loving him, trusting him, obeying him, and following him. And if we do that, if we give our, turn our hearts and our lives over to him, especially if we receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity, if he feeds us with his very self, then bit by bit, step by step, he's going to transform our hearts. He's going to fill us with his life, with his love, with his power. And so that we growing in obedience to him, growing in love, you and I just might, through his love, shine his glory into every corner of creation.